Welcome to Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a transformational life coach, comedian, and mother of two. And you can join me weekly to hear some intimate self-reflections and conversations with inspirational friends and guests from all around the world, sharing what they needed to break free from in order to live a life of purpose. Huda Shawafni describes herself as a human, mother, actor, in that order, and everything in between. Born in Morocco, Casablanca, to a Moroccan mother and Egyptian father. I'm proud to say that Huda is a friend whom I've always admired for her many strengths and talents, but even more so recently as I've watched her tackle a new challenge with such elegance. Hi, Huda. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Today, you said you would be talking to me about living with alopecia, which is something that you're dealing with recently. But I thought we'd go back to what it was like growing up in Morocco as a child first and how you ended up moving to England to become the fabulous actor that you are. So my mom is Moroccan and my dad is Egyptian and um, my dad died very early in my life and my mum left me with my grandmother in Casablanca and she came to England to work because she had a sister here and um, she um, she would come back every six months so that was my childhood really until I was 11. Um, She remarried when I was 10 and had and I had a baby sister Mm -hmm which I was very jealous of, really, really jealous. Um, and because um, I think by 10, you sort of, you know, there was a whole different life that was happening with my mum that I knew nothing about. My mum seemed very, very glamorous to me. And, you know, she would go on planes and we were in relative poverty. And she would go on planes, she'd come back. And I always looked, back, looked forward to her coming back because she'd come back with new clothes and chocolates and things. So... In a way, my grandmother fulfilled the mother role, which isn't unusual in the Middle East, in Morocco in particular. Mm. Uh, grandmothers tend to raise their grandkids. You know, it's it's um, it's very very normal. I think I didn't I didn't feel any kind of neglect, I suppose, until my sister came because you know she had that sort of there was a father and there was she would she was born in England and they brought her back and and I wasn't part of any of that um and then my grandmother died so just a year later my grandmother died actually and and we all moved to England um it was a huge huge um change in life for me and in prospects as well because you know living in Morocco um I knew I was an ambitious, I, I knew I was ambitious even before I knew what ambition was, I suppose. But the, the, there isn't, you know, your your world isn't as big um, in, in Casablanca, in the old town, in the Medina, because you're not as exposed as, just as much. So coming to England, it was a whole, you know, like my whole world blew open. Um, and the possibilities were just endless all of a sudden. So I think I never really, I never really focused on any of it being negative or traumatic per se. Um, I was very angry. I know I was very angry when I came, but the anger stemmed from many things, partly the language. I didn't speak English. Mm. I spoke French and, and um, Arabic, so I didn't speak any English. And I was, 
I tell the story of how I went to school because my mom just took me to the bus stop. This is the first day of school. She took me to the bus stop and there was a girl wearing the same uniform as me. I didn't speak any English. And she said, follow her. Wow. And that was it. That Honestly, <laughs> that was like, there's no... Like when I remember it now having kids, I can't imagine ever doing anything like that. But it was just... (laughs) What about your sister? Wasn't she in the same school? Didn't you follow her or go with her? No, there was was a 10-year difference. So when we went, went, she was two and I was 11. So I was going to secondary school, like an inner city London secondary school, no English, following her. That was all I had. That was all I had. (laughs) Follow her because she was wearing the same... Um, uniform as me I don't remember where I went in the school did I go to the office I have no idea what I did that I sort of blocked that out I just know that then I was going to school every day on the same bus stop as we later find out was Emily following her every day and that was it that was life um but you know but I can't even remember how I got back home because I know my mum didn't pick me up but Emily wasn't in my class (laughs) so I don't know if no only Emily realised how important she was in someone's life. She was so important. I know, she was so important. Did I, did I like chase her around school to find her? I don't yeah, know. I, I mean, what if Emily but, um, climbed over the wall and played truant, see her boyfriend, you know? Right? <laughs> or what if she went to see her aunt in like, I don't know, mm, Hammersmith? Mm. I don't know. I had no idea. But I um, I made it. I made it. Um, But I was... I do remember being angry thinking that everyone was talking about me because I couldn't understand what people mm. were saying. And that made me really, and I was very little um, for my age and I was very, very angry. And I, thankfully, being in a city London school, I found a group of Moroccan and Egyptian girls who took me under their wings and they were my lifeline. It was an all girls school. But they were really my lifeline. They really, they really taught me so much. And Asian girls as well. And they, they taught me, they taught me so much. And they sort of, there was a tribe mm. within the school. There were different tribes, but there was a tribe within the school. I know some people call it cliques, but I really needed yeah. that tribe. Um, and it got me through those, you know, those five years in secondary school. I'm curious, what did they teach you? Um, they taught me to hit back. They taught me to to stay away, um, when to speak up, when not to speak up. Um, they kind of kept me calm because I'm I was pretty mm-hmm. wild. Sounds like prison, Huda. Oh God, it was completely prison. Oh my God. Oh, the toilets were. Oh, I'd hold my pee for so long because I was so terrified of going to toilets because in, in the toilets is where the girls who smoked were, and they were a very cool, b very bloody scary. Um, but I would walk in and pretend that I was cool and that I was scary. Mm. I'm already, I'm only five foot one as we speak right now. <laughs> so at 11, I was like, I don't know what I was. Yeah. I was just like, just angry squirrel. And um, so I'd have to go in and I would, I'd hear my language. I'd hear tapes of birthday parties or whatever. And even the language I would, I would use would be really tough girl language. Um, because I desperately needed to fit in. Um, I didn't want to stand out. But at the same time, I wanted to be seen as someone who mattered. Yeah. And there were all these things I didn't even know were what I was seeking at the time. But the Arab girls and the Asian girls kept me calm. 
because I always had someone to run to and tell my stories. I think that's really important in life, not just as a kid or as in anything that you do in any, you know, we'll come on to alopecia, but I think you always need to find a tribe because there's nothing worse than feeling lonely mm. or feeling alone, not rather than lonely, alone in what you're going through. Definitely. And I understand now why you've chosen to homeschool perhaps all your children. Has that got anything to do yeah. with it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that that would have a huge part of it, I'm sure. I mean, I'm very close with my mum at the moment, but yeah, I think, you know, um, partly that is that I want, I want to be there with my kids. I want to, I want them to have me whenever they need me and, and whenever they want me um, and just for their memories to be for our memories to be shared I suppose mm. you know my mom never came to not in the bad way my mom had shit to deal with you know she had life and she had to get us through there's four of us you know by the time I was 16 and, and she single-handedly raised us and she did incredible things and she gave us all the opportunities that we needed but you know for her things like um, even things like uh, parent meetings meant nothing. Mm. You know, why would she go to, to, like for her, she didn't even understand what teachers were saying at that point. Um, as long as I was okay, as long as I was studying, she had to pay bills and she had to take care of us. So I never, ever um, uh, blamed her, I suppose, for how we were. It was fight or flight for all of us. Mm but you've created something different for your kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my mum with my younger siblings, she went to work in the, school, in the primary school. So in a way, she was there the whole time mm. for them. Mm. So in primary school for my siblings, she was um, playtime supervisor. So she was there all the time, you know, for them. Um, I never got to experience that. I'm not sure I would have loved that, to be honest. They didn't necessarily because she always knew when they were in trouble. Um, but I had a completely different experience. I had a totally independent experience at school. I never worried that my mum will come and the teacher will tell her something about me. Never. Mm. So what was it like for you becoming an actress? How did that happen? So I, uh, yeah, I, so the only class, because of my lack of English and, and struggling with English, the only class I felt really confident in was drama because I didn't necessarily need language. I could express myself outside of language and I could tell stories outside of language. And the other thing is I had Miss Letitia Jackson was my English teacher and she was extraordinary. She was one of these women, she was, she was in her late 50s, 60s. She wore no bra and crochet jumpers and always had a perm. And she's so, she was at my wedding. She's so special to me, this woman. And the girls would make fun of her and I hated them for making fun of her. And she when Shakespeare when we had to do the Shakespeare module, no one wanted to read Shakespeare because they they found it difficult. So no one wanted to read Shakespeare. So I'd put my hand up because I loved her and I wanted her to be happy and I hated her asking a question, no one putting their hand up. So I would read. Wow, how brave. You can't speak English well yet, but for her sake, yeah, you're going to read but Shakespeare. I didn't, because to me, Shakespeare, the difference between Shakespeare and, you know, any other literature was there was no difference. It was all English letters. So, mm. uh, uh, you know, I would make a, as much of a mistake in the other um, text. And actually, in the other text, the girls would laugh at me. But in Shakespeare, they didn't because they didn't know what I was saying anyway. And that's so interesting. <laughs> know, and they didn't know how it was yeah. supposed to be pronounced. So they just had to shut their mouths. And I felt really powerful because I thought, 
ha, here's a thing I can do that you can't do. And I had no idea what I sounded like, by the way. But Miss Jackson never stopped me. She never corrected me. She never told me what I was saying was wrong. She just let me do it. And I just did. And I just let the rhythm take me. And I didn't know. I God, I could have sounded like a banshee. But to, I felt that I sounded great. And I felt intelligent. Mm. And I felt heard in the class. So that changed my life. Because then I pick, I would go to the library and I, would, oh my, I couldn't believe England had free books. You can go into the library and just take 12 books. That was yeah. They trust, they trust you. you. They trust you to take them. It home. was crazy <laughs> to me. I would go to the library and just sit there and just take as many books as I could, and I would get into and book. And the library was a whole different. Like every book was a different world. I got into Martha Graham at secondary school. I got into. I loved Martha Graham. You know, there was no Google, and then they were, they had this section for careers, and. And they had like prospectuses, old prospectuses. And I would just, I would go through them. I would go through them. And I found this thing called drama schools. And I found this thing called acting. You know, you can do it as a profession. And Shakespeare. And, uh, you know, if you go to the Shakespeare section, you also find, you know, books about acting and stuff like that. So I just really got into it. And, um, and that's when I finished, I wanted to go to Brit. And this is, this is a funny story because I really wanted to go to Brit. It was a free school. I, I knew we couldn't afford for me to go to um, drama school. And I didn't know anything about um, uh, getting uh, scholarships. scholarships. No idea. No one, you know, the careers at school didn't tell me anything about that. So, but mm. I knew about Brit because it was quite new and it was a new thing. It was mostly music, but they had a, you know, they had a, I don't know how I found out they had a drama um, section, BTEC National in Drama. They ran that course. So mm. it was in Croydon. I did a B did you? drama. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. So I I preferred it to drama have, school. Some people say that. Like that's what Lola's doing right now. She's going to art sets because she's only 16 to do B Tech National and Drama mm. and Film Stud A level film studies. But let's see. Um and um yeah, so I did so I so it was in Croydon. So I found the Croydon College and I applied, right? Then mm. I went to the audition. So Brit School is in Selhurst. Croydon College is also in Selhurst. I did not apply to the Brit School. I applied to Croydon College because I didn't know the difference. And mm -hmm. I got into Croydon College. And I auditioned, got in, took my mum's, I just sit down, you know, did the audition, got in. And I was telling everyone I got into Brit. But I didn't. I wow. got into Croydon College, but I didn't know the difference because they were all it's Selhurst Station. Um, I think yes. it took me six months being there until I found out that I wasn't in Brit. <laughs> I think I tried to go to the canteen in Brit and realised that it was a completely different world, totally yeah. different world. It was this high tech building. With I was like, how come we never go there? And I was like, because it's not our school. I'm like, what do you mean it's not our school? It's not our school. <laughs> we're in Croydon College, so. By then, I loved the course. I loved what I was doing. It didn't really matter, you know, what it was. What were you doing? I was doing BTEC National Performing Arts at Croydon College. Okay. <laughs> Not BTEC National <laughs> of Performing Arts at Brit. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, I loved it, did it. Um, while I was there, I got 
a job as a presenter because I needed money. I needed money. So I, mm. I got a job as a presenter. I don't you remember NBC with these broadcasting centers. Yeah. So I did my work experience. It was really good. So I was presenting music shows and stuff like that after drama school and I got some money together. But I knew I wanted to act. I knew I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't happy presenting. Um, I was making good money, but I was saving money for drama school. So you paid for your own drama school? Oh, yeah. My, there's no way my mum could have ever afforded to do that with four kids. No way. Brilliant. I love the way when you're fearless, you get places. You know, you don't sort of question things like, oh, would that work out? Would it not? Are they going to turn me down? Are they? You just go for it. And then by mistake, you end up somewhere else, which is exactly... Gosh. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And, and, and sometimes not knowing is better. Well, Huda, that, that has taken you far because, you know, you've acted in so many amazing things. What what has been the highlight for you as a mom of four children and an actress? I mean, how you juggle it all is, is amazing. I, I think the acting has sort of taken a backseat to living recently. And when I say recently, I mean like in the past two years. Well, you say that in the last two years things have changed um I mean it has for the whole world yes. with with COVID yeah. but you've had a lot more to deal with um with alopecia which we said we would talk about and there's so many different types mm-hmm. um I've discovered yeah. looking it up and it's an auto uh, autoimmune condition that causes hair to fall out for anyone who hasn't heard of it yeah possibly so could you explain what it was like to discover that you had that mm-hmm. I mean how did you first start noticing so I was up in Stratford doing um, a play with the RSC and it was a really stressful period as, as well as a, an incredible period of growth for me but it was very stressful because I had taken on things I'd never taken on before I as a mother of four my memory is not as good as it used to be and I I went up there to do a play and they've asked they asked me to also understudy a lead in the Shakespeare play, which was just an enormous amount of learning um, and, and material to keep in my head. And so I was, you know, the beginning part of that was very stressful for me. And I had the kids up there. That was I took the kids out of school because I wanted them us to be close. Um, so they were homeschooling at the time. It was an amazing experience. It was a challenging experience and I learned a lot, but it was a very, very stressful couple of months in the middle when I, when I was trying to figure everything out and learn everything. Mm. So when I, when COVID happened and they um, sent us all home, it was the first real break I had for a while. And I was, I was really happy. I was really excited. Oh my God, I get to sit home and just, you know, go to my house and I was very excited. So that was March. In May, I was going to do something and I put my hair up and my mum pointed out there was something behind my ear. She's like, oh, you've lost hair there. So I went and it was like a penny. It was like a penny size behind my ear. And I thought, oh, shit. Okay, well, I need to deal with this. And then it started getting bigger. I sort of put it in the bag going, oh, it'll grow back. But I'll need to deal with it at some point. But it's COVID, so what are you going to do? And it started getting bigger. And I started getting... And alopecia doesn't cross your mind. It's not something we're really aware of, I think, enough mm. to think, oh, I've got no, a penny-sized yeah, no, bit but of hair enough, missing. There was a girl at uh, Stratford who came to me, a friend of mine, one of the actresses, who came and had like a tiny, tiny dot in the front of her head where she's lost hair. And she, and she was one of these 
amazing people who who stresses a lot she's like oh my god look at my head and me and the other actress in the room were like oh that's fine that'll grow so when it happened to me i was like oh that's like what happened to so and so it'll grow back it'll be mm. fine and so i didn't really pay attention to it but my i started losing my sideburns and that was really shocking um mm. so i did a zoom call with the doctor because they were offering these um uh, you couldn't go to see the GP. So I did a Zoom call and they offered me um, uh, a cream, a steroid cream to use on the area twice a day. So I did that for a month, but my hair didn't stop falling. It was, I every time I touch it, the hand, you know, I'd, I'd get hair in my, in, in my hands. But the back of my head just lost, like it was as if someone slowly was, was mowing it. Like it, my hairline just went, higher and higher from the back um and then you know it, it's travel was allowed i took the kids and sample us all in the car we all traveled and i just started hiding it with scarves and thinking i don't know how long this is going to last i don't know what's happening to me but i'll deal with it when i go back home but it was upsetting it was really upsetting and so i hid it for as much as i could i still had glorious hair if you didn't know you just think i started wearing scarves but the front of my hair was mm -hmm. visible um you could see that it didn't look it didn't look natural um where i'd lost it so when i came back so we traveled for six weeks um across europe by the time i came back i was like right now i'm going to go and see dermatologist now i'm going to go and take care of business and uh, my mom noticed actually the hair in the back has started growing back there's loads of baby hairs i was like oh wow amazing went to see dermatologist between that losing hair and the time I came back, um, I had been going online a lot, hearing women's stories, YouTube. There's so many women who talk about their journeys, you know, losing their hair completely, which at the time was so scary for me. Oh, my God, I could that could happen to me. And different types of alopecia and what people go through. And most of them come to the conclusion, having done all the things that people tell you, all the... Um, all the uh, different treatments that, that are offered that are on the market, they all say the minute you stop the treatment, the hair falls back out. So mm. I and they sound like brutal treatments. Is that right? Really horrible, like injecting steroids in your head. Um, uh, courses of these treatments that you have to go to every couple of weeks, painful, um, horrible, horrible treatments. Uh, and then there's charlatans online who try to sell you all sorts of you know, liquids and, and potions and lotions for incredible amounts. So I had done enough research to know that I wouldn't be going for any of the treatments anyway. But I just wanted to know, I had some awful nights where I just thought I had an itch before. And I, you know, if you put Google, you put this condition, this um, this uh, condition and this condition, you put them together, you will inevitably come up with cancer. You just will, because that's how the search engines work. You, two things will lead you to some kind of, you know, horrible, horrible um, disease that you could possibly have. So I had, I had dramatic nights at night when the kids would go to sleep and everyone would go to sleep. And that's when my morning would start. And that's when I would cry myself to sleep about the fact that it, I could have something that I don't know anything about, that I could have a lymphoma, that I could have... There were many things that, that came up that I could be leaving these kids, these four kids, you know, who are so young. So I had awful nights like that. 
And then I knew that I just needed to check. And, and weirdly, that's help, that helped me in dealing with the hair itself missing because I knew I didn't care about the hair. I knew I didn't care about the vanity of hair. And that's not to say that I'm someone above vanity. I loved my hair. But I knew that if the price was hair, it was a very, very cheap price. I knew that it was a very cheap price to pay if it meant that it was a cheap price to pay if it meant that I would not being be alive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I came back and I, my hair started growing back. It started filling. Mm. The dermatologist said, well, you know, it happens sometimes and it could be stress related. I knew I wasn't that stressed. I knew the stress happened longer than the hair falling out, but I, I kind of went along with the whole stress situation. Um, but she did, one dermatologist did say it could have something to do with my allergies. I'm a, I have a cat. I'm allergic to my cat. I'm allergic. I take an antihistamine once a day. But an autoimmune is something that once it's triggered, you can't kind of pull it back. Mm. So once the body triggers it, and I think I know when it was triggered, because I remember feeling itchy all over during COVID. Um, and I didn't know what the itch was. It, I, it was like stinging. It was like needles. And I think that's when my autoimmune was triggered because not long after that, I started losing the hair. And um, so my hair started growing back and everyone was like, whoa, it's all been resolved. And for a period it was, even the big bald patch that was behind my ear all came back. And we traveled and we decided to go to, to have a huge change of life. And it was all very positive. Um, and then I my daughter got a job she got an acting job and i came back to the uk um for her job and it all started with it all started again with a tiny little spot but this time what took about two to three months to lose happened i lost 95 percent of my hair in four weeks time and that was horrible because i knew it was happening and and the clumps of hair was so much more than the first time and it was i i remember very clearly being in the shower and going i'm gonna dye my hair and i put henna in my hair because my hair's gray i'm like i'm just gonna dye it so then i don't have to touch it and then i'll just put it up in a ponytail and i went to wash it and it was just it was like a wig it was like the whole thing was coming out in my hands and i didn't know what i would look like in the mirror after and I, and I was, even though I was in the shower, I was silent crying. We no voice would come out. And it was just like, I, I want to say it's horrible because as an actor, when you cry, sometimes you always think, oh, this is what it feels like to cry. This is what it feels. This is what it looks like to cry. This, but I just remember like feeling like it was a, like a voice that wouldn't come out. And I didn't know if the tears were coming out either because of the shower. I just needed to let it out. But I didn't know if my body was allowing me to let it out. Um, and then I came out and then I looked at myself in the mirror and I could see all the patches and I could see all the loss. And I kind of made a decision that it wasn't, this is not, this was not going to be who I am. What's happening to me is not going to be who I am. And I felt sorry for my mum because my mum was there and my mum is so sensitive to all these things and image in particular. And I came out and I said to my mum very breezily, look, it's all gone. 
And I could see her trying to tell me like, no, no, it's all coming back. I could see baby hairs and I could see, but I kind of made a decision that I, it was going to be the end of it. And I was going to deal with whatever this was. And I was going to figure it out. Um, and we went and I, you know, Lola was doing her job up in um, Liverpool. And the first week we were there, she was doing her fittings and I was, you know, we were meeting all the producers and doing all the rehearsals and so on. And I knew I wasn't going to last. So I made an appointment at a wig shop and I went and got a wig. So they saw me with like, you know, just scarves and a bit of hair. And then next time they just saw me with a 60s wig. And I remember the lovely producer on the show. He's really like, he's an incredibly talented man and lovely. And he came on stage like, oh, you look different. Your hair looks different. And I just said, yeah, it's a wig. And he didn't know how to react to it. And he's like, oh, it looks great. And I felt the power of that moment. Of not making excuses, of not, not you know, explaining myself, just being blunt, not saying it's a wig because I have alopecia. He complimented something. And I said, oh, thanks. It's a wig. Because I knew I looked different to what I did the day before. And that mm-hmm. was it. And that was the end of the story. There was no woe me. There was no, oh, I'm so sorry. There was no mm-hmm. awkwardness. There was just, this is how it is. And I say it with a smile. And it just, we moved on from it. And the wig girl, the the makeup girls in the trailer, it was uh, the lead, the uh, head of department was uh, this incredible woman. She, black woman, knew everything about wigs. And I said, listen, I just got this wig. It's synthetic wig. They told me I can't cut it. It's too long. She went, I'll shut up. Come here. She took the razors mm. and just did it. Exactly. She said, how do you want it? And she just did it for me as I stood. And again, I feel you like you always find a tribe of people you need when you need them. Yeah. I didn't need my mom at that moment. I didn't need anyone feeling sorry for me. I needed people with solutions. And that room for me, that makeup trailer was the people with solutions. I would run to them and say, it's itchy, what do I do? They say, wear a wig, wig, cap, uh, wig cap under your wig. So I'd go and get a wig cap. They knew what I needed. And they said, don't get synthetic next time. Invest in a human hair wig. So I, I had my tribe of women right there when I needed them. You know, yeah. and being with Lola was also really good because it was, it, it just didn't even register for her. Yeah, okay, you're losing your hair. There was no feeling sorry for me. She didn't. She was like, oh, mom. She, she said, I mean, Serene, when I shaved there, point when it got so bad, I was like, oh, I, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to take the clippers to it. And I came down and my 13 year old cracked up and she went, mom, you look like a fuzzy kiwi. And I loved <laughs> that. I loved that yeah. because there was no room for, feeling sorry mm. and that empowered me you started posting about it on on instagram i love you know you're showing us the different solutions with wigs and with eyebrow um microblading i think you yeah. can and yeah and putting on magnetic lashes so the hair actually does come out in all areas it's not just the head yeah so so it's only when i got when i've this last couple of weeks that my eyelashes and eyebrows started to go. And I have to say <clears throat> the eyelashes more than anything really changed how I looked to myself even more than the hair, just because there's something about eyelash and I don't know. It's just, it's a feeling as well. So that was, so that was, so I cried in the shower and I lost my hair and I haven't cried since the closest I've come to it was when I realized my eyelashes are really going to go. And then I, again, went to my tribe online to find solutions. And I just got the things that I thought 
thought I needed. I tried the the glue the glue eyelashes and they were terrible. I'm just terrible with them. I can't do them. And halfway through the day, they start peeling. And that's horrible because then I'm like worried about my eyelashes peeling. Terrible. Magnetic eyelashes. Incredible. They stick more than eyelashes and they're just there. And then I didn't know how to remove the glue of them. And then I had to go online. But online is this incredible pl platform. It's horrible and it's incredible. And again, I found my tribe who've helped me out. I, I DM'd them. I sent messages. But because they helped me, I thought it's important that I also share what I'm going through. Not because I needed validation. Not because I needed people to feel sorry for me. Not because... I just wanted, if anyone was going through it silently, I think going through things like this alone, I can't imagine anything worse. I just can't imagine anything worse. I think back to those moments when I would cry myself to sleep, thinking that something utterly deadly is happening in my body and not knowing what to do with it. And I don't ever want anyone to go through that. If, if I could help one person go, oh God, that's what I'm going through, then I would have done my job. And I've had people from like secondary school message me go, oh, I've been going through hair loss and I didn't know what to do about it. And it's also just shame associated mm. with it because hair for a woman in particular is seen as such a, a beautiful thing. People comment on it. She's got beautiful hair. You've got beautiful hair. What do you do about your hair? And they comment on it and it becomes such an intrinsic part of us that we think that, we are partly hair we're not we actually don't even need hair you know but but because it's such a big part of us men can get away with being bald and no one bats an eyelid and they can get away with their hairline changing they can get away with it and no one you then also i've spoken to some of my friends who've lost their hair young but they they understand that what women go through when they lose hair in society is, see, is seen as different even though they also mourn their hair but society accepts them without hair much quicker than yeah. it accepts women. I think losing hair on their head is accepted more, but the eyebrows and mm -hmm. the eyelashes must be very difficult yeah. um, part of, of, of it. And a lot of people will assume that perhaps they have cancer yes. because um, there's no hair. And I think it would be harder for them to put on the magnetic lashes and have yeah. microblading without it looking artificial Completely. with us yeah so I think there's sort of a, a different side of how hard it is for males yeah. compared to how hard it is for females yeah 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 completely and and you know um I've also been online with um drag queens that have helped me a lot and they, they have such a refreshing kind of you know it's all drag so you know it's whether you're wearing the lipstick or putting on eyelashes you know that you don't look like that but you could add all these things in the world you can go out in the world and look any way you want when you want and in a way it's unlocked a lot for me because I I actually wasn't very high maintenance when it comes to hair. I've become more high maintenance. I do my nails now. I, I don't know how long that will last. I don't know how long, you know, for me, I would love there to be a point where I will just come out with my bald head if the hair doesn't come back and just be okay with that. Yeah. But at the moment, I'm okay with it. But I'm not okay with the stairs, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm not ready with the stairs. But it's also thrown up certain questions for me for instance being a muslim um you know i play characters that wear hijab 
do you need to wear a hijab if you don't have any hair? If my character, for instance, wears a hijab, if she doesn't have any hair, what is she covering? What are we covering? Whether we're covering hair or not hair, what is what is hair? What is the importance of hair? So I, it's thrown a lot of questions my way, and and I'm working through them. I I'm working through them slowly. Yes, and like in different religions, so in Judaism, absolutely women wear wigs. Uh, absolutely, so and some of the best wigs that are found online are actually made specifically for Jewish women to cover their hair. But I've I have so many questions because. They have hair and they, you know, and some of them put hair that looks even better than their own hair to hide the hair. There's a, there's a, a, a this woman I follow online called Dini Wig, Dini Wigs, D-I-N-I, and she's in New York and she also uh, goes to, to uh, Tel Aviv to do specific wigs and the wigs are insanely expensive they're like fourteen thousand pounds <laughs> like they're a deposit on the house and um and but the hair the hair looks like it actually looks like hair there's no way you could tell it's a wig it's unbelievable um and so i religiously i'm trying to understand the significance of hair of hiding hair of, of where hair comes into it if 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 what you're hiding is the beauty of hair because it shouldn't because it's enticing if you don't have hair are you still enticing you know and and if you're covering it with even more beautiful hair yeah. isn't that enticing isn't that more enticing so i have all these questions that i don't have answers for and you know i'm asking and i'm i'm um i'm just asking because i'm curious not because i'm judging but i'm genuinely curious um about hair because it's an important part in my life at the moment, the importance of hair and the, the lack of hair and for women, for femininity, all of these things, I want to understand. Facial hair, body hair. I've lost all my body hair and my, my daughter is like, you know, like my daughter does not like shaving her hair at all. Um, she she does not like removing any any hair, armpits, whatever. She doesn't like. So it's interesting for me to have these questions. Whereas before I was like, oh my God, it's such a bush under your armpit. Let's do something about it. Whereas now I'm like, Okay, interesting. If you can have the confidence to go out with that hair, why should I have any opinion on your body hair? It's your body. Mm. <laughs> my children, the boys, when my hair went and Zach came to me, he's like, mom, and he was shocked. He was shocked to see me like this. And, um, and I had the wig on and I took the wig off and he said, oh, mom, please put the wig back on. And there was a big conversation there about women mm. and about choice and about how I wish to look like and what he wishes me to look like, whether he has a right to demand that I put hair back on, you know, it was a big, it, it's, it's, it was a big one because I couldn't react to it emotionally because it, because of my first reaction to it was I was hurt and I had to recognize yeah. that. But I also had to understand that there was a huge lesson that I needed to teach him and it had to be done gently and with love. Yeah. And I think children um, need to sort of hang on sometimes to mum mm -hmm. is this, like mum can't be anything else. So even if I would change my hairstyle or colour it, my son never liked that. He'd be like, no, go back to mm -hmm. how you were. There's there's mm -hmm. a comfort in having that sort of, um, you know, mum doesn't yeah. change. Yeah, but I was aware that at the moment, it, so many young girls kind of, feeling like they look, need to look a certain way and they have to do it for, you know, whatever reason, because someone tells them, whether it's a boy or a girl, they tell them they want them to look this way. But I wanted 
them to understand that they cannot have a say in how someone looks, even someone they love. Yeah. Because the first thing Sam did, my husband would say, you can't tell, you can't tell your mom how she should look. You can never tell a girl how she should look. And I was like, you have to stop. We, we, this conversation needs to be thought out before we, we say it. We can't be reactionary mm. in, in this subject because it's, it's a lesson that goes beyond hair, yeah. beyond looks, beyond, it's about consent. It's about, you know, knowing, knowing what you wish for. And even if you wish for it, not, not imposing something on another human being, whoever that person is. Well, my uncle, for instance, has always had a beard. He's now almost yeah. 90. And he, and he shaved it off once and his wife made him stay in the study. <laughs> until it grown back <laughs> so you know sometimes your partners yeah. your kids your your parents just cannot accept you any other way than how they see you and they don't want yeah. that change and that's their own struggle their own yeah. fears you know that um the more empathy we can have yeah. towards it but not let that affect yeah. us in that we have to do what they need us to do um is the whole conversation yeah, to be had, yeah yeah i it? mean it's 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 it has gotten now. He sort of says things like, uh, "If if the little one would say, oh, mom, I prefer this wig to that wig,' Zach would turn around and say, "It's her body. It's her choice. She does what she wants." And that really was the Aww. that really was the lesson that I wanted them to learn yeah. more than anything. Yeah. I'm happy for them to have an opinion. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, my hurt feelings. I don't negate those. They they are my personal feelings because I feel like, uh, you know, I myself when I pass by the mirror without without anything it's a shock it's still a shock I haven't it's only been a couple of months been two three months it's still mm -hmm. a shock I look like a completely different person and it's without especially without the makeup without everything it's 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 it will take some getting used to but I'm hoping that I become braver just like the women who helped me that I slowly become braver and I can share more and more of I think it's like a measure for myself how brave and how accepting I have become of myself that I can share it. Well, I think that little squirrel has never left you and won't let you down. <laughs> I think that squirrel does get me through much yeah, in life, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> Crappy squirrel. Thank you so much, Huda, for sharing your story. And I'm sure that it will help so many people to know what you're going through with such honesty to help them as well face whatever fears they have whatever Thank questions you. they have and um hopefully connect with you as Thank well you. if you know they want to reach out absolutely i'm happy for anyone to reach out through instagram through anything when it comes to you know alopecia or anything anything that was discussed today uh, privately i'm happy to answer any questions Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniakurdi.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.